When five of the world's biggest banks last year pleaded guilty to U.S. currency rigging charges, they also agreed to cooperate with the Justice Department's ongoing investigation. This week, there are new indications that that cooperation is bearing fruit for the government. Three banks, Barclays, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Citigroup, have provided evidence of a potential new antitrust conspiracy in the spot currency market. It's one that prosecutors say involves different currencies from the ones that were at the center of the guilty pleas. That's according to court filings described in a new story on Bloomberg News. With us to talk about this development and what might be next for the international currency rigging investigation are Bloomberg News reporter Tom Schoenberg, who is one of the reporters who wrote the story, and Robert Hockett, a professor at Cornell University Law School. Tom is here with me in the Bloomberg 991 studios. Uh, Tom, thanks for rushing back from federal court to talk about this. Um, let me just start with you. Uh, uh, what did we learn from these these new court filings? Sure. So what we saw in uh, sentencing papers was that uh, really kind of a first kind of public acknowledgement from uh, the Justice Department that there's an active uh, criminal conspiracy investigation into uh, additional currency pairs in this uh, currency rigging investigation. The uh, banks, uh, the five banks that pled guilty last year to, to charges related to currency rigging, um, those involved the euro and the U.S. dollar. What we see here is that uh, additional currency pairs are being looked at and that this probe is kind of being assisted by at least three of the banks uh, who pled guilty last year. And we should just, just clarify, I should have clarified, these are papers that were filed in connection with the sentencing of the banks, which is coming up this week, right? That's correct. The banks are uh, scheduled to be uh, sentenced on Thursday in Connecticut. Bob, when Loretta Lynch announced the guilty pleas, she said that there would be almost $3 billion in penalties. Now these three banks are cooperating with prosecutors, and they are going to be rewarded well for their cooperation. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about what they're going to be facing when they're sentenced. Well, it looks like what's being talked about now is reducing uh, the fines by about anywhere between one-third and one-half. So from a bit over uh, $1 billion in all cases, we'll get down to uh, the hundreds of millions uh, between basically 600 and $900 uh, million. Tom, of course, the judge doesn't have to accept that recommendation. It is below the federal sentencing guidelines. What, uh, if any, indications do we have about how the judge up in Connecticut might be planning on handling this? Well, we don't know, you know, exactly what he may do, but, uh, you know, what, what I find interesting is that these banks are kind of going to be sentenced all nearly at the same hearing, and UBS, which pled guilty to uh, charges, uh, not the currency rigging charges, but charges, re you know, that stemmed from that investigation is being sentenced just a half hour prior. Um, also, we know that the government, you know, these are the fines that the government and the banks announced when when all these banks pled guilty in May of 2015. So, um, you know, in all the, the sort of filings between now and then, there's been no indication from the judge that he wouldn't accept that. Uh, the, the Justice Department has also gone to great lengths in their documents to show the type of cooperation the banks have given them in order to sort of say why they should get these type of uh, reduced penalties. Bob, there's little indication or information as to whether the bank's cooperation is helping the prosecutors to build cases against the group of traders at the heart of the conspiracy, and mm -hmm. that was supposedly a mandate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think we can presume that what the cooperating banks are doing is, is helping the Justice Department in sort of getting more information about the particular traders in question. Um, but the thing is, even even assuming that that is the case, there's a, there's a, a rather ridiculous irony here, it, it seems to me. So basically, we've got certain markets out there that are largely dominated by a, a comparatively small number of, of large mega banks. The very size of these banks, the very roles that they have in the global markets, is what enables them to engage in the kind, or enables their personnel to engage in the kinds of uh, manipulative behaviors that are, are in question here. But by the same token, that same size makes it impossible for the Justice Department uh, actually to investigate thoroughly without getting the cooperation of the offending institutions themselves, right? So, you know, the, many people have argued for a long time that the existence of these mega banks means that we've got uh, financial institutions that are effectively ungovernable, even internally by their own uh, boards. Um, but in addition, of course, relatively ungovernable or difficult to govern by, by regulators themselves. And in a sense, what's going on here kind of um, it reinforces that point to reinforces uh, that perception. Tom, uh, who could be, if this new evidence that is discussed in the, the court papers amounts to something, who is potentially on the hook for it? Not, not the, the, the banks in this case, not the ones we've already mentioned, right? It's potentially other people. Right. Barclays, J.P. Morgan, and Citigroup all would have immunity from, uh, you know, from prosecution over the evidence that they've turned over to prosecutors uh, regarding new conduct in, in the in the currency investigation. However, there's about, there was, you know, 16 banks uh, that were sued in, a, in private litigation by investors over this conduct. And uh, some of those banks have already disclosed that, uh, disclosed in regulatory filings that they're being investigated. Uh, those include Deutsche Bank, Goldman Sachs, uh, Morgan Stanley, and HSBC. So there are a lot of other big banks out there, and then, and then the individuals that we're talking about are potentially... Uh, susceptible to to uh, uh, criminal charges, is that right? Yeah, you would, uh, and obviously at this point, um, you know, the government's been uh, talking a lot about a lot about going after individuals. So you would uh, expect individuals to be a, a focus. Uh, yet, as we see thus far, they have yet to uh, bring charges against any of the really small number of individuals um, that have been, you know, named by us and, and others um, as being the, you know perpetrators of the uh, misconduct in the guilty place. We're talking with Bloomberg's Tom Schoenberg and Cornell's Bob Hockett about the latest developments in the Justice Department's currency manipulation investigation. Last year, Attorney General Loretta Lynch announced a settlement with six banks, and she described how traders rigged foreign exchange rates. Traders in this cartel used a private electronic chat room to manipulate the spot market's exchange rate between euros and dollars, using coded language to conceal their collusion. They acted as partners rather than competitors in an effort to push the exchange rate in directions favorable to their banks, but detrimental to many others. Bob, um, when that settlement came out, uh, some of the banks suggested that what was really going on here was basically that they had a few bad apples. Mm -hmm. uh, given what we know, is that, is that kind of a, a fair description, or is this something that, uh, at least the investigation, is it something that is much broader than that? I think it's, it's 
likely to turn out that there are more than a few uh, bad apples. Now, that's not to say that they're sort of, per, you know, sort of pervasive corruption across the institutions, but I think it's going to turn out that there's a sizable number of bad apples under a couple of reasons. One is that the Justice Department itself has sort of intimated that there's a lot more going on than has thus far been revealed. Two is that it's just so easy, given the outsized role that these institutions play in the financial markets, for certain insiders within those institutions to do this kind of thing, and there are enormous uh, profits to be made. And finally, third, um, this is um, kind of a related thing, not exactly directly on point, but very closely related, I think. If you look at things like uh, the LIBOR scandal, right, the London Whale scandal, and you look at the precious metal market cornering scandals of recent years, those are all in the same nature uh, as this particular scandal. They're all about outsized institutions that have a lot of market power and thus can move prices uh, and that are also very large to sort of govern because they're so complex and far-flung with certain insiders within them who helpfully call themselves cartels uh, acting like cartels. So my guess is that this is going to turn out to be a rather bigger problem than has thus far been revealed, even if it's not going to be, again, a case of just pervasive corruption across the institutions. Tom, the private electronic chat room that elect, that uh, Loretta Lynch was talking about was called the cartel and involved Eurodollar. There is some evidence in some lawsuits that there are more than a dozen online chat rooms involving upwards of 15 currencies. Can you explain that? Uh, yes. Uh, in sort of private cases brought by investors, um, they were able to, uh, through discovery, get additional sort of chat rooms and chats uh, in which, you know, bankers from different institutions were in these chat rooms discussing various currencies. Uh, I think the real issue for investigators uh, is whether or not, you know, uh, bankers at competing institutions in a chat room talking about a currency was collusion or, uh, you know, or something that they're allowed to do sort of under their current regulatory scheme. Bob, uh, it's it's becoming clear that uh, this administration is going to have to turn this whole investigation over to the Trump administration. What's your sense of where uh, the the uh, potentially new Attorney General Jeff Sessions and and, and his folks might want to go with this? Are they going to be as tough on this sort of activity as the Obama administration? Yeah, this you know this this might be something of a silver lining um, in the in the Sessions appointment, right? I mean, so Sessions is, is well known for being kind of a stickler on uh, sentencing guidelines and and sort of uh, upholding very strictly um, laws that are already in the books. The bad news in that, of course, is that he's probably less likely to be liberalizing uh, drug laws, which I think we've sensibly been liberalizing of late. But the good news might be that he's actually uh, he might be end up he might end up being more serious uh, about uh, enforcement of laws that that, that govern uh, Wall Street, um, partly because again, he's a stickler, uh, and maybe partly also because since he's down from the South, he's not a, a kind of Wall Street type himself, and so he might be a little bit more willing to um, you know, see these bad actors as bad actors rather than as you know, people who are sort of in the same circle as he is. Um, so we might end up getting a bit more uh, serious enforcement of, uh, of the finance regs uh, up here in the Northeast. We are going to have to leave it there. I want to thank our guests, Robert Hockett, a law professor at Cornell, and Tom Schoenberg, a crack reporter for Bloomberg News here in Washington. Thank you both for being with us. Uh, Coming up, uh, an open letter from constitutional law scholars to Donald Trump. We will have the first interview with one of the professors behind that letter. Uh, They have some significant concerns. And we are going to talk about what happens when police find marijuana in a house's trash can. Can they search the house? A new court ruling on that. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. This is Bloomberg.